Great. Excellent. Uh, it's such a pleasure to bring the Word of God to us from time to time and from day to day. And my name is Abby, and I'm a member of this church with my family. And from time to time, Pastor Chris asks us to um, preach in his stead. And today is one of those days, so uh, you're stuck with me for the next 30 minutes. <laughs> uh, today we'll be talking from the book of Proverbs, the series we've been on. And our subject and theme for today is life and death. And I titled the sermon, It's a Matter of Life and Death. Let us pray. Eternal Father, we thank you for today and we ask, O oh God, that even as we come into your presence, we pray, O oh Lord, that we will never live the same. <coughs> Open our spiritual ears, our spiritual eyes, and our spiritual minds that, Lord, we will hear and we will see and we will understand that which wisdom teaching us today. In Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Now, we are reading from Proverbs chapter 12, verse 28. And Proverbs 12, 28 says, In the path of righteousness is life, and in its pathway there is no death. Now, regardless of which culture or which country you are from, you probably are familiar with the idea that there are some life stages which, as human beings, we all pass through. Most cultures recognize two of them. We are born and we die. Maybe if there is a culture which does not recognize that, maybe they don't have human beings in them, right? Um, and maybe because these days we have test tube babies. So babies are made right from the beginning in test tubes. So you can actually say they are born because they are not born out of the womb. But in general, we all recognize being born and dying. In my culture, we recognize four of those life stages. So in addition to being born and dying, we recognize the stage of becoming an adult and the stage of marriage if you get married. So, each culture like mine celebrates these life stages. In my culture, the celebrations and the ceremonies we undergo to celebrate the individuals who go through these life stages, we call them rites of passages. This is just a ceremony that celebrates someone passing from one stage of life to the next. Now, what's unique about my culture is the significance of these celebrations. Let's take being born and dying, for example. When you're born, there is a birthright we celebrate for you, which we call the outdooring or the naming ceremony. Now, in outdooring, the child is born, and for seven days, they're actually kept inside. They don't see the sun. They don't go out. So outdooring right is literally outdooring the baby, bringing the baby from the inside to the outside. Then in the naming ceremony, the baby is giving a name, and the significance is this. That name, according to my culture, becomes the parameters within which you lived your life. So my name is Ebenezer. My mom and dad chose that name carefully because that was supposed to decide the boundaries around the rest of my life. Then, when you died, we celebrated what we call funeral rites and burial rites and burial rites. So you do that here, so you know that. 
Now, the significance of that is there are different kinds of burial and funeral rites. And the type you got depended on how you lived your life. So you see, these two are connected, right? You are giving a name that defined the boundaries of how you should live your life. And then you are giving a burial rite that determined, that is determined by how you lived the life that you have been in. So you see, for my people and for my culture, how you lived your life is extremely important. In other words, how you lived your life is a matter of life and death. Now, at the sound of that, you hear the, the expression life and death. It's a matter of life and death. Anywhere else in the world, when you hear the words used in that expression, it's a matter of life and death. What it simply means is that the issue being talked about is extremely important above all else. In other words, it demands your attention, it demands your focus, and and it demands immediate action. Now, unless, of course, the person who is using the phrase is a matter of life and death, is your son in the aisles of Target, who, because he wants you to buy them a video game, says that this is a matter of life and death. Of course, that you know is not a real matter of life and death. Otherwise, anywhere else that you hear that expression, it requires your attention. It requires you to pay attention. It requires you to listen, and it requires you to act immediately. So, the book of Proverbs and wisdom, as we have been saying it in the last few weeks, uses the theme of life and death on the pages of Proverbs to do the same thing, to get our attention to think about the way we live our lives. How does wisdom do this? Wisdom does this in the pages of the book of Proverbs and in fact in the whole of the Bible by drawing a relationship between life and death and righteousness and how the way you lead your life is related to them. Let me say that again. Wisdom draws our attention to pay attention to how we live our lives by drawing a relationship between life and death on one hand and then righteousness on the other hand. And it links it, in other words, to how significant and how the way you live your life plays into that relationship. So before we explore this relationship, it just makes sense that we understand some three basic concepts. First, wisdom, what it is. Two, what righteousness is. And then three, what life and death is. So let's begin by looking at wisdom. And here I will quote from Pastor Chris's first sermon when he defined wisdom. We know that in the book of Proverbs, wisdom is expertise, wisdom is competence that understands how life really works. It is learning to play in harmony and in rhythm with God and how he created the world. So you see, wisdom is real, it's a skill, it's a competence, it's an expertise, and if you master it, you know how to live your life. 
So how can we get wisdom? In other words, how can we play in harmony and in rhythm with God in living our lives? I am not a very good musician. I wish I were like Pastor Shane. I can only play the djembe drums. But if you know anything about music, you know that the first thing in terms of playing in harmony and in rhythm is to know the music. If you don't know the music, you can't play, let alone play in harmony and in rhythm with other people. Now, it's just like acting. How many of us know the movie Invictus? It's a movie made about South Africa, right? About how they move from apartheid into freedom. And there is this gentleman called Morgan Freeman. Now, it is on record that Morgan Freeman, before he could play Nelson Mandela in that movie, he had to study Nelson Mandela for three years. It included traveling from the U.S., living with Nelson Mandela, seeing how he eats, seeing how he walks, and literally studying Nelson Mandela so he could be able to do justice to his character in the movie. Friends, it is the same with God. To learn to play in harmony with God in how he made his world and how life is supposed to be lived, you need to know him first. And that is exactly what Proverbs means when he says in the book of Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10a that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, wisdom is at the root of our relationship. At the root of wisdom is a right relationship with God. Without the right relationship with God, you won't have wisdom. Here is how Sid Basil, a theologian and a Bible scholar, puts it. He says, to be wise in the biblical sense, one must begin with a proper relationship with God. To fear the Lord means to respect him for who he is and to respond to him in trust, in worship, in obedience, and in service. If God is not honored and his word not followed, then wisdom, as the Hebrew sages defined it, can never be attained. Friends, if you desire wisdom, this is the appropriate point to pause and ask yourself, do I have the right relationship with God? If wisdom is something you need and you want, you want to be able to figure out how this life really works, then you want to ask yourself, do you have the right relationship with God? And if you do, how is it like? Is it firm? Is it shaky? Is it wishy-washy? Is it as a matter of how I want it to be or is according to that which God has detected in the pages of his word? And if you don't have a relationship with God, what are you going to do about it? Remember, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You can't get wisdom without the right relationship with God. Let's now look at righteousness and what that means and how that definitely plays into the relationship with wisdom draws. So we just said that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and we explained that the fear of the Lord 
is having and keeping the right relationship with God. That right relationship begins when you respond to Jesus by turning to him in trust, worship, obedience, and service, and you honor him day by day by living your life according to his word. In other words, turning to Jesus requires something of you, and that is you are subjecting yourself in obedience to Jesus and living by his word and according to his standards on a regular daily basis. Friends, this day-by-day subjection ourselves to obedience to Jesus Christ creates something in us, and that is it results in us becoming more and more like Jesus. And the Apostle Paul puts it right in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, when he calls this day-to-day becoming more and more like Jesus, he calls it transformation into Jesus' image. And that exactly is what righteousness is. Righteousness is becoming more like Jesus. Now, you all have seen coins before, right? And there are two sides to every coin. So just like there are two sides to every coin, there is an opposite to righteousness, and that is sinfulness. Living in sin is your refusal to submit yourself to the will of Jesus Christ, your refusal to repent of your sins and subject yourself unto the Lord in obedience on a daily basis. In other words, what you do when you live in sin is instead of living according to the scriptures, according to the Bible, and by the standards Jesus provides, you live by your own standards, or you live by the standards of the world around us. People like that, doing wrong is like waking up in the morning and brushing your teeth. Sometimes I don't even remember if I've brushed my teeth or not, because it's become a reflect action. I have done it today, so you don't worry. (laughs) Now... It becomes a reflex action. So for people who are in sin, doing sin or sinning becomes like a joke. In fact, Proverbs chapter 10 verse 23 says it nicely when it says, Doing wrong is like a joke to a fool, but wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. So as you can see, there are two ways you can live your life. Either in righteousness in Jesus or in sin. They are mutually exclusive. It's either one or the other. Let's now look at our last concept of life and death. And then we can go on to explore the relationship between them and how that concerns the way we live our life. Now, the book of Proverbs sees life and death as a realm. In other words, there is a physical side of it and there is a spiritual side of it. So physical life is when you have pause, when you put your hand here, if you can feel the throbbing. Yeah, you can do it and see if you can feel the throbbing. Do you, do you feel it? Great, I'm talking to people who are alive. <laughs> it means you are alive. You put your hand on the left side of your chest and you can feel your heart beating, it means you are alive. That is what physical life is. And when you are physically alive, you breathe and you grow. 
But at the end of physical life is what we call physical death. So when you die, that is when that throbbing stops, that heartbeat stops, that breathing stops, and you stop growing. Now, it is physical life that separates the physical side of the realm from the spiritual side of the realm. Now, when you go to the spiritual side of things, there is eternal life, which is eternal life with Jesus in heaven. And this belongs to people who, during their time of living on the physical side of life, they have repented of their sins, they've heard God's call, they submitted themselves unto God, and they live their life in obedience to God's word and to the scriptures. So when they die, they inherit eternal life with Jesus Christ. If you've not repented, and you are not living in righteousness and in consonance with God, you don't have eternal life. What you have is eternal death. And that eternal spiritual death is practically and simply eternal damnation or spending eternity in hell. My brothers and sisters, that is the first way wisdom looks at life and death. Wisdom also looks at life and death in terms of well-being. In other words, wisdom looks at life and death as describing the quality of life, even on the physical side of things. I'm sure you have heard the expression, oh, he is full of life, or she is full of life. It doesn't mean they are dead and standing. What that means is, they are breathing, they are growing, they have pause, they are alive. But that expression is referring to their energy, it's referring to their vivaciousness, and it's referring to just how lively people are and just how good they look. And so we can actually make a distinction between people who are alive, yet they are dead, and then people who are alive and have well-being. When you see it, you, you can tell. And sometimes the frailty, ailments and sicknesses as we grow makes us have small levels of well-being as human beings. So we can tell the difference. Friends, being well in life is more than just having a pause. So now that we know what wisdom is, we know what righteousness is, and we know what life and death is, Let's proceed to explore the relationship which wisdom places between life and death and righteousness and how that relates to the way you and I live our life. So what's the connection between righteousness and life and death? Wisdom says in the book of Proverbs chapter 12 verse 28, in the path of righteousness is life and in its pathway there is no death. Proverbs 12, 28 says that. What does that mean? What message is wisdom giving us in this verse? To put it in one sentence for you, what that simply means is that how you live your life is literally a matter of life and death. Let, let, let me repeat it. Maybe you did not hear me. My voice is not loud enough. How you... And I 
live our life on the physical side of things is literally a matter of life and death. At the sound of that, you may ask, but why? Why does how I live my life matter? What has how I live my life got to do with life and death? Well, wisdom does not leave us scratching our heads on that one. He gives us several reasons on the pages of Proverbs and, in fact, on the whole Bible that explains why the way you live your life matter. But for the purposes of our sermon and for the sake of time, we will explore only two of them. So let's take the first one. Wisdom says how you live your life determines where you spend eternity. Let me repeat it. How you live your life on the physical side of things determines where you spend eternity. We just talked about the existence of life after physical death. And according to wisdom, how you live your life in the physical side of things, which we are all on right now, determines whether you lived eternity in heaven with Jesus or you lived eternity in hell with the devil. Friends, wisdom speaks of this and how that happens in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, when it says, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end leads to death. Friends, as you live your life on a daily basis, life presents you with several decisions. You made several of them this morning. The, the, the first one is whether to get up from the snooze and the enjoyment of the dawn and get ready and come to church. And you made it because you are here. Hooray. The second one, or several of them you have made. Well, another one is when you got into that car and you may be running late to come to church and then that dude just crosses you on the road and you're like, okay, should I hit his back and bump him and let him recognize that he is not the only one who is using this road? Or shall I become and drive and get myself and my family safe to church? You made that decision, and that brought you here. But among the decisions of life, there is one cardinal one which actually determined where you spent eternity. And that happens when every day when you receive or you hear the gospel preached to you, God presents you with an opportunity for him to save you from sin and give you eternal life. But here is the deal. At the same time God is presenting you with that opportunity for salvation, the devil and Satan is also selling you certain lies. He packages this lie so beautifully that those lies requires you to ignore God's call over your life and live life the way the world wants you to live it. Now, this lie comes this way. Oh, it's a lie. Don't worry. You're okay. You don't need Jesus. You are good enough. All you need is to be positive. All you need is to work hard enough. Just look deep inside yourself, and you'll find the strength and the capacity to live. You are enough. You don't need Jesus. Ignore this Jesus thing. It's a beautiful packaged lie. 
this kind of lie is and way and description is what wisdom describes as the way that appears to be right, but in the end is death, eternal death. This lie package we can look at as what a graveyard or a cemetery looks like. Now, maybe you don't see the connection in my comparison, but let me tell you about how graveyard and cemeteries look like where I come from. They are not as beautiful as you see them here. They are hideous. They are bushy, full of thorns, full of trees. In fact, you walk miles away from the village before you went there, and no life activity goes on around them. But here in America, when you walk by, it has beautiful lawn. The lawns are beautifully well manicured. It has beautiful marble stones which poses as monuments. It's got beautiful flowers. There are fountains all around. There are lakes, you know. And, 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 and if you don't know what is under that green grass, you will easily be fooled to believing that that is a golf course. That is exactly how Satan's life and the lies he sells to us is like. He packages it so beautifully and people are fooled on a daily basis to buy into that lie and ignore eternal life. My brothers and sisters in Christ, are you believing that lie? Are you ignoring God's call over your life? Wisdom is saying to you, in the cardinal decision of life that determines where you spend eternity, there is more than meets the eye. And wisdom is saying, choose life. Listen to the call of God over your life and submit yourself unto him so he can save you from eternal death. What is the second reason wisdom gives us as to why the way we live our life matter. Now, wisdom says, how you live your life determines your well-being while you have physical life. In other words, what wisdom is saying is that not only does it matter how you live your life because it determined how you spent eternity, it also matters in the here and now. In other words, it also determines whether you have well-being in this physical life or not. And wisdom would say in the book of Proverbs 28, we just read, that in the path of righteousness is life. What that means is that if you conduct your life according to righteousness, if you lived righteous life, you will have a long life of peace. Let's not write off the bat. That this long life of peace wisdom is promising is premised, is based on living a life of righteousness. And we cannot even talk about living a life of righteousness when you don't know Jesus. In other words, what wisdom is saying is that if you know Jesus and you commit yourself to subjecting your life to him in obedience and living according to his word, that makes you become righteous. And it is then and only then that well-being and lifelong life of peace is within your reach. Wisdom interprets Proverbs 12, 28 
in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, when it says, My son or my daughter, do not forget my teachings, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace will they add to you. In other words, you must first know him. You must commit to living daily by his teaching and command. And that is when the promise of long life of peace belongs to you. But what does a long life of peace look like? Think about this this way. You still get broke. You still have to work to pay your taxes. You still suffer. In fact, we know, having gone through the Sermon on the Mount, that those who are righteous, those who live righteously, are persecuted. Now, this long life of peace that Proverbs talks about supersedes that. This long life of peace is not freedom from the normal wear and tear of life. This freedom, this peace surpasses that. This kind of peace is what Paul talks about in the book of Philippians chapter 4 verse 7 when he says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. This kind of peace is that inner tranquility, that inner peace that results out of having peace with God. This is the kind of peace you get when your sins have been forgiven, when you have repented and you have committed your cares and your worries unto the Lord. And having committed them, you trust him that he would take care of it. So you go on to believe and be obedient to his command on the Sermon on the Mount when he says, do not worry. I've got you. God has you. That is the peace we are talking about. And you cannot conduct your life according to righteousness if you know Jesus. If, if you don't know Jesus, sorry. Talking about righteousness, until you know him, you can't live righteous. Because living righteous is becoming more like him. And if you know Jesus, and you don't conduct your life according to righteousness, in other words, you don't actively pursue righteousness, you will be eluded by this peace as well. In fact, an unrighteous Christian is like one who is alive, yet dead. It's like one who is alive and have pulse and can feel the throbbing of their heart, yet they don't have well-being. They don't have that peace in their heart. Christian, think about it this way. Can you think or can you recall a time or how it feels when you have been dishonest with somebody and then you discover that the truth will be revealed? You know that feeling? Maybe you don't. But I remember one. When I was in middle school, I used to fight a lot. And people are like, you, Eddie, fight? Yeah, that's what Jesus can do. 
I used to fight a lot. I will fight like on the day I get into like three or four or five fights in a day. And I will end up, I was tall and you have shorter people around me and you are beating them and bullying them. I came home and told my mom I was not the cause. And my mom was like, okay, the parents of the boy are standing here. They are seeing the blood oozing from the boy's mouth and you say you are not responsible. Okay, my mom just did what a normal mom would do. She consoled me, she encouraged me, and she defended me. I don't know what she said to the parents, though. But right after that, I fixed sickness. It was a Tuesday, so Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I fixed sickness, and I didn't go to school. And I thought it was all ended. I thought it was done. <laughs> Mothers. <laughs> On Monday morning, I got up, I wore my shirt, I was ready to go to school. She was already right at the gate with me. She said, son... I'm going to school with you today. And I'm going to find out exactly the truth of what happened. It took one hour to walk from where we live to the school. And that was the longest distance I have ever walked. <laughs> it was so awful. In fact, I ended up even physically falling sick. On top of that, she gets to school and she did not only speak in front of my teacher and the parents and the other students. She got to the assembly ground where from kindergarten to eighth grade is lined up. And she walks up to the headmaster and he says, I want to know. And she held me by the hand, not here, but here. She held me there and said, I want to know what actually happened. In fact, I wish my legs could dig a grave. I would have buried myself <laughs> right there. It's an awful feeling. Do you, do you, do you, can, can you imagine living your life on that edge for the whole of your life? Would you call that peace? Would you call that tranquility? Friends, do you have this peace we are talking about? Not the peace that makes you want to dig the ground and bury yourself. Not living on the edge of not being righteous. Do you have that tranquility in your life and in your heart? If you don't, you need it. And the only way to get it is to pursue righteousness. Now, how about the long life part? I am sure we have all heard stories of Christians who've made some really foolish choices that literally led to their death. In fact, the Bible has, has several examples, and one of them is in the book of Acts chapter 4 and, verse, uh, chapter, 4 and chapter 5. You know about the story of, of, of Ananias and Sapphira? They lied in front and to God, and I'm not joking. Open it and read it sometime. They literally, on the spot, they fell. And they died. And Ananias died. The wife followed. And, he, and she lied. And she also died immediately. What sin are you struggling with, my friends? Are you refusing to lean on Jesus in pursuance of righteousness for him to save you and continue to save you? Or you are the kind of Christian that thinks righteousness only comes when you work harder. Or when you think positively. That is what our culture sells to us. That is not the gospel. 
It takes daily leaning and relying on Jesus to be righteous. Trying harder, looking into yourself and thinking positively is just another one of Satan's lies. He doesn't stop pursuing you. When he tried to prevent you from accepting the Lord, he doesn't stop there when you come to Jesus. He continues to sell you those lies, not to pursue and actively pursue righteousness. It takes Jesus and only him to make righteous. And that is a matter of life and death. In conclusion, my friends, God is interested in your life because it has implications for both the here and now and for the hereafter. He wants quality of life for you. But to get that, you have to live your life righteously. And to live according to righteousness, he must first save you for eternity. Do you desire wisdom but have no relationship with the Lord? Can you begin? You can begin. And you can begin that relationship right now. It's never too late. He's calling out to you. Don't put that off. Another day may not come. Brothers and sisters, how you live your life matter. Because it's literally a matter of life and death. What are you going to do about it? Let's pray.